The sermon text for this evening's message can be found in John 6, verses 22 through 29. John 6, 22 through 29. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw that there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boat, boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. Let's pray. So, Father, for those of us gathered across these campuses now, I plead with you that we would hear the voice of God through my voice as I am dependent upon and I pray faithful to the Holy Scriptures. And I pray that your voice would have a revealing effect to our sin not for the sake of paralysis or shame, but for the sake of confession and forgiveness and cleansing. And I pray that the spiritual taste buds of our souls would be made alive so that when the Bible says taste and see, that would not be a foreign language concerning spiritual things. And so work the miracle of new birth, the miracle of spiritual awakening, the miracle of sanctification and reconciliation and strengthening and encouraging and emboldening and whatever else is needed in your flock. Work it now, we pray through Christ. Amen. Our focus is on verse 27 in John 6. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. So, number one, what does it mean that God sets his seal upon Jesus, the Son of Man? Number two, What does it mean that we should labor for the food that endures to eternal life? Number three, what does it mean that we should not work for the bread that perishes? Those are the three questions I'll be mainly trying to answer. And they are very relevant for your situation in life. What are you doing so that you have eternal life? Or is that not even a good way to ask the question? How are you going about your daily work at the office 
or at home or at school so that you are not laboring for the bread that perishes. These are very, very relevant questions. So let's get the setting clear again. In verses 1 to 15, Jesus had crossed the sea from the Capernaum west side over to the east side, and there he had turned five loaves and a few fish into enough food by a miraculous power to feed 5,000 plus people. It was a sign, and the sign pointed to himself as the bread of life. Verse 35, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Verse 41, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. Verse 48, I am the bread of life. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. Verse 55, my flesh is true food. That's what the miracle of the loaves and fishes was meant to signify. And there was a sub point to it that we saw last week. Because when it was all over and he told the apostles, 12 of them, to gather up the pieces, there were 12 baskets full left over. And I argued that a point within the point was that Jesus meant for this to be not just a statement and sign for the crowd, but a very personal word for his fellow workers that if they pour themselves out to give and give and give, he will always be enough for them. He will be enough for them. There there was a basket for each one of them left over to signify you can't outgive God. You can't be so tired he can't meet your need. Then we looked at the miracle of the walking on the water. Uh, Later that evening, the disciples get into a boat and they head for Capernaum on the west side and they leave Jesus behind. They row about three miles out into the water. A huge wind comes up. It's very scary, very life-threatening. And they are far from Jesus, they think, even though he has signified to them, I will always be enough for you. So I argued last time that this miracle within the miracle, this chapter is really about the bread, but here's another chapter about walking on water that nothing is made of except this little unit right here. It's never talked about again, and I argued it's a way of underlining the baskets. Because here they are, three miles out, being threatened by the water. Jesus is as useless to them as a well-meaning friend standing on the shore three miles away, and they don't know what to do. And here he comes walking on water to close the gap with them. They're first terrified, and then he says, It is I. They gladly take him into the boat, and immediately that story's over without a word about his power, a word about his stealing of the storm, a word about the wind ceasing. It's just over, and they are where they need to be. And I argued the point of that story really is we need Jesus in our boat 
The point really isn't that the storm stopped. It's not even said that it stopped. The point is, we need Jesus in our boat over and over, and he gets there when it looks like he can't get there. So that's where a lot of you are. I got some emails this week that were so sweet and so heartwarming to me that that simple point got you through the week. He's in my boat. And he means to get there when it doesn't look like he can get there because there's a big storm separating us from where he seems to be. And there he is doing the miracle, not just to make 12 basketfuls enough to take care of you, but also walk on water to get into your boat. So that's what we've seen so far. Now, in the morning... The crowd can't find Jesus, and they're very perplexed because they knew that the disciples had left him there, and they can't find him. So they get in boats, and they cross over to the other side looking for him, and they find him in the synagogue of Capernaum. We know that because verse 59 says, Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. So this whole dialogue in this chapter is happening after they cross over in the synagogue in Capernaum. When they found him, I'm at verse 25. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? They're very perplexed, and they want an explanation of how this happened. Because they got into boats, and they got there. He's already there, so we don't understand how you got here, and Jesus won't go there. He won't go there because they had totally missed what he had tried to show them about the bread. So here's what he said, and it's very blunt, very harsh, very critical, and the way a lot of people don't think anybody should talk to anybody. Verse 26, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of loaves. What does that mean? It means that Jesus had fed 5,000 people with five loaves and and a few fish, and it was a sign. It was, picture this, helps me. A sign in the sense that Jesus is like the glory of God, made manifest according to chapter 1, verse 14, and beams come out from the glory, and the beams land and miracles happen, like bread becoming enough to feed 5,000. Or uh, Jesus is like the sun, and rays go out, and they reach a planet far away, and we see what they do. They make plants grow, and and they make us able to see things. And the whole point of a sign is let your eyes run up the beam. Let your eyes run up the ray to the glory, to the sun. And they didn't. They didn't. The bread filled their stomachs. They were natural men. They were not born again. It filled their stomachs. That felt very good, very satisfying. Therefore, Jesus is very useful. And oh, do they want him for that. They will make him king. They will praise him. They'll bow down to him. They'll do whatever they can to have a king like that. And Jesus will have nothing to do with that kind of allegiance that's based on his usefulness to natural desires. 
So they missed, they saw signs, but they didn't see signs. Jesus talks paradoxically like this. You didn't see signs. You just got your belly full. You didn't let your eyes run up the beam. You didn't let your eyes run up the ray. You delighted in and were satisfied by the product of the miracle, not the person who did the miracle. And there's the great danger of all miraculous ministry. Could be that God withholds some miracles from us precisely because we're not fit for that kind of beam. Our eyes would so be thrilled by just the product that we would leave the person. And it, maybe it takes suffering to get our eyes on the person instead of a miraculous deliverance to get our eyes on the person. So that's what I think he meant in verse 26 when he said, I say to you, you seek me because you didn't see signs, because you ate your fill of the loaves. This gospel, so you know what I'm after and what John is after and Jesus is after and you're being here in this room, this gospel is written to reveal the glory of Christ, not mainly the glory of his gifts, so that we wouldn't make this mistake. I'm preaching this text in a way that I hope is faithful to it. And it's written to help you not make this mistake. These things are written that you might believe, eat, taste, see, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and believing have life in Him. And not be enamored mainly by the stuff but him, that's why I'm preaching, that's why it was written, that's why you're here. God wants to deliver many of you from your fixation upon the product of religion and get it onto the person of the religion. Verse 27 is where Jesus now turns and it's our main focus. He says to these people to whom he has just given this critical word, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. So let's take those one at a time, not in that order. First, on him, God the Father has set his seal. What's that? Second, Labor for the food that endures to eternal life. What is that? Third, do not labor for the food that perishes. What is that? So, in reverse order, here we go. Number one. On him, God the Father has set his seal. I think that means, ultimately, Jesus bears the mark of God and is God. He, his seal is so real, he is what the Father is. I think that's the ultimate meaning of that. Short of that, it has other meanings, probably. Namely, that God has authorized his Son as the Son of Man to be the mediator of eternal life. He's authorized him. He sent him. 
He will give his flesh as the life of the world. He will rise from the dead. And he will give life to all those who eat of him as the bread of life. So God gave him the authority as the incarnate, perfect, crucified, risen, reigning son of man. He gave him authority. You now, my son, can give life to people. I seal you as having done everything that needs to be done to give life to whomever you will. Here's, here's, I think it's a paraphrase or a repeat of chapter 5. Don't look it up. Let me just read it to you. I'm reading selections from verses 19 to 27 of chapter 5. Whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father has given all judgment to the Son. As the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. So when it says here that he has sealed him right after calling him the Son of Man, I think it means Jesus has met every qualification as the divine Son of God, incarnate, perfect, crucified, risen, reigning, pouring out the Holy Spirit. The Son is everything to be stamped with the Father's full authorization and seal. Yes, you are a mediator of eternal life and there is no other. So that's my answer to the first one. Number two, verse 27. Labor for the food that endures to eternal life. Let's read it in context because that's not exactly the wording of the verse. Verse 27, do not labor, so there's your main verb, for the food that perishes, but, verb missing, supply the verb from the first clause, but labor for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. What does that mean? Labor for the bread, the food, that endures to eternal life. And the meaning is clearly enunciated in verses 28 and 29. Then they said to him, okay, you've told us what to do, namely to labor for the food that endures, so what must we do? So be more specific. Help us to know how to do this. What must we do to be doing the works of God. That is the works that God requires in order to get eternal life. <clears throat> That's the question that follows what Jesus just said. It's a pretty natural question. <clears throat> so they're asking how. What are the works we're supposed to do? Here's the answer Jesus gives in verse 29. This is the work of God. Namely, the work that he requires in order to you to have eternal life. This is the work that you're asking about and that I said you have to do. This is the work of God. Namely, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So what does it mean to labor for the food that endures to eternal life? 
Verse 29, Jesus says it means believe in the one whom he sent. Believe him. Here they are standing in front of the bread of life. The Son of God. Infinitely valuable, infinitely beautiful, all satisfying, everlasting. He is the food that endures to eternal life. He gives eternal life. And they ask, what must we do? What must we do that we may have the bread of life? Because they don't see him as the bread of life. And Jesus says, in essence, if you don't see the person standing in front of you for who he is, no amount of working is going to make him your treasure. Does that make sense? If, if I'm here and you don't see me as bread, you don't see me as life, you don't see me as hope, you don't see me as the infinitely valuable, divine, all-satisfying treasure that I am, you can work your knuckles to the bone for God and that won't turn me into your treasure. You're, this doesn't make any sense. Do you remember John 1.12? He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. Why? They didn't see bread. They didn't see life. They didn't see hope. They just saw another teacher, in fact, one that was going to get them in big trouble. They didn't like what they were hearing, so they didn't see him. And then he adds, but to as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the children of God. So, not left out a phrase. To as many as received him, comma, who believed in his name, comma, to them gave he power to become the children of God. And it's that apposition that interprets what believe means. It means receiving him. I'm bread. I'm standing in front of you as life. The issue is not whether you work for me. The issue is will you eat? Will you see me as bread? Will you see me as better than the television? Better than money? Better than drink? Better than family? Better than everything? Will you see and eat? Not work. You can't turn me into your treasure by working. I'm either your treasure because you see me as your treasure, or I'm not. All you can do is receive, eat, drink, live. And that's what he's saying to you right now. To all who receive him, eat him, rest in him, have him as their bread, their soul-satisfying Bread that they don't run away from real quick to get back to what they really like to do. You, 
You have to read the Bible a lot, I think, to be at home with Jesus' irony. What must we do to be doing the works of God? You told us to work for the bread that perishes. This is total irony. He's talking upside down language and he's going to set them on their head as soon as they join him in it. He's going to turn them upside down. What must we do? He'll do anything. Believe. Believe. Eat. Live. If a feast is spread before you and you're very hungry and you don't see it as a feast but it looks to you like little cardboard pieces of food, little play, you know, like a doll set. Little banana, plastic banana. Little, little, little plastic loaf of bread. If you think that's what's on the plate... There's no amount of work that's going to change that. Can't do anything. You must be born again. Eyes must be opened. Hearts must be changed. A miracle must happen. Now, through the preaching of God's word, right now, God do it. So that's what I think he meant when he said labor, labor for the bread that endures to eternal life. He meant believe. Number three, what does the first clause in verse 27 mean? Do not labor for the food that perishes. Now, this is mainly for you believers. You who've eaten, you who've tasted, and you're wondering, okay, what's the implication of this for my job? <laughs> my 8 to 5, my 9 to 6, my 60-hour-a-week job, my homemaking, my mothering, my student life. What, what does he mean, don't labor for the bread that perishes? That's what he says. Don't labor for the bread that perishes. And, and clearly he means ordinary food. Because that's what verse 26 says is the context. You are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of ordinary food. Don't labor for that kind of food. So what does that mean for us practically day to day? Two things it does not mean, and then what it does mean. Number one, it does not mean quit your jobs. Stop working. Now, we know that, and I could spend a lot of time proving this from virtually every book in the New Testament. We know that because the whole New Testament assumes and commends the dignity of work. Ephesians 4.28, just one example. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him labor, doing honest work with his hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone who is in need. 
get to work, earn a living. A straight biblical understanding of what the lion's share of our life should be devoted to. Do your work. So it doesn't mean quit your jobs. Second thing it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean don't bring home the bread. I go ahead and work, but don't, don't do it for the bread that perishes. Like, don't bring home the bread. Don't bring home the check, put it in the bank, and then buy food. Don't do that. It's not what it means. And we know that for the same reason. And the example that you would think of probably is from Thessalonians. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Which implies that the ordinary, now there are clear exceptions to that, right? But the ordinary way of eating is to work, <laughs> not mooch. That's the ordinary way to get your food. And the Bible everywhere assumes that and teaches that. So two things, it doesn't mean quit your job, and it doesn't mean don't bring home the bread when you put in your hours. Bring it home. Buy the food. Eat. Stay alive so you can work. That's biblical, normal life. Well, what then does Jesus mean when he says don't labor for the bread that perishes? Well, the question I ask myself, trying to get at the deeper meaning of this, is what changes for this person who eats Jesus? Okay, so you've got another kind of, you've got normal bread that I'll eat in about two hours, bowl of cereal probably, and, and then there's spiritual bread. If I don't eat this, then I'll, I'll die and won't be able to preach anymore. I think it's God's will that I should preach, and same thing for you. And then we've got this other glorious, all-satisfying, eternal bread. What, what changes here when you eat this? That's the question I ask myself. Because that would help me know, okay, I'm going to work, just like you said, going back to work after I got saved. What changes? And, and two things are real clear here. This bread, it says, is food that endures to eternal life. So the first thing that changes is a new chapter is added to your work life. Eternity. Mark that. A new chapter. It's the last chapter, which means retirement isn't whatever that is. You got a new chapter added to your life called eternity, because if you eat this bread, your life doesn't stop. It goes on with joy forever. That's the first thing that changes. The second thing that changes is that this bread becomes your supreme treasure. This bread, when you eat it and discover who he is, and over a lifetime you discover more and more of how deeply nutritional this is for souls that were made for God, <laughs> all other values go down, down, down as he goes up, up, up. That's a huge change. So you got a temporal change and a treasure change. A chapter is added to your life and a treasure is added 
to your life. And the treasure is more valuable than anything. And the chapter lasts forever and brings infinite happiness. So, conversion goes like this. Might have happened when you were six, like me, <coughs> or later, maybe earlier. Your eyes are opened. You wouldn't have been able to put words on it like this, but that's why you're reading your Bibles. Your eyes are open. You see Jesus Christ for who he is. Crucified Son of God, risen, bread from heaven, righteousness, forgiveness of sins. You see him. He starts to grow. Even a little six-year-old can see, that's what I need. And then you, you eat. You eat. You don't work for him. You eat. And you take him into your life and he becomes your, your portion in your life. Okay? Might have happened when you were a, a working man or a working woman. So what happens then? You stay in your job, most of you. First Corinthians seven twenty four. Let everyone stay in the job in which he was called with God. So staying where you are is ordinary, normal, steady state Christianity. And something about everything in that job changes. That's carefully said. I'm tempted to say, everything changes. <laughs> I will say that eventually. <laughs> But what I mean when I say it is something about everything changes. Christ dominates your mind as the supreme treasure And if things look bleak in work or at home, you remember you're going to live forever. So you go to work, not dominated by the desire for the bread that perishes or for the fear of losing it. You go to work knowing him, trusting him, treasuring him, being satisfied in him with your heart set on making much of him. That's how you go to work now. He's dominant in your mind. He's dominant in your heart. And every aspect of your vocation becomes a way of magnifying him. Keeping eternal life before you and snacking all day long on the bread of life will not make you a lazy worker. It will not make you a shoddy worker. It will not make you a gloomy worker. You will bring zeal and excellence and joy to your work because you know Him, you trust Him, you treasure Him. You want to make much of Him in all that you do. You know that everything, everything done in the name of Jesus and for the glory of Jesus, from the washing of the bathroom to the running of the boardroom, will be rewarded forever. With 10,000-fold undeserved joy. You won't be driven by upward mobility. You won't be driven by big pay. You won't be driven by positions of power. 
You won't be driven by lust for weekends. You won't be driven by passion for retirement. Because every day, Jesus will be with you. Infinitely valuable to you. Satisfying your soul as you eat the bread of heaven. He will be your feast when everything else fails. And you will have before you, you will have before you, not the fragile hope of a few years of aged retirement. Yuck. Instead, you will have before you the absolute certainty of the everlasting cabin by the lake with Jesus. You will have before you the everlasting ocean cruise with Jesus. You will have before you the everlasting evening by the choir, with it, by the fire, with a, a good book and Jesus. And you won't be too old to enjoy it. You will be young forever. And the fact that you don't need that now, you getting this? The fact that you don't need that now changes everything. I told you I was going to say it. <laughs> it does. It does. I got a chapter at the end of this book that never ends. My book ends at 40, 60, 80, one day. I've got a chapter that never ends. We believe that. And on the way there, he has come into my world. He's gotten into my boat. He will walk on water to stay by me. I can eat from him every day, no matter how many storms there are, or whether I lose this job, or have the greatest job, because he is my treasure. It changes everything. I think that's what Jesus meant when he said, don't work for the bread that perishes. Yeah, get, keep your job by all means. That's what the world is for, is life and work and stuff and creation and management and organization and make it happen. The world's got to run. Be there. Take part. Bring home the bread. Got another chapter coming, and you got Jesus all day long, infinitely more valuable than anything you'll ever earn. It changes everything. You won't be driven that way. In summary, here we go. One minute. God put his seal on the Son of Man, the mediator of eternal life. He is able, he's equipped. Number two, Jesus offers himself to us freely as food and he endures to eternal life. No amount of working can turn him into your treasure. No amount of working equals eating. If you're standing in front of him, and you are right now, I'm not him, I'm speaking him. You're sitting in front of the bread of life as he comes to you through his word now. Offering, drink or eat from the spring of the water of life 
or from the bread of heaven without payment. Just open your mouth and I will fill it, says the Lord. See me as treasure. See me as bread. See me as infinite eternal satisfaction superior to all else. And I'm yours. See me. Live. Don't work for me. I don't want your work. I want your heart. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be. And third, when you do, when you get a new chapter through life, and you get bread satisfying all day long, you'll go to work and everything changes. Let's pray. So, Father in heaven, I'm asking for miracles now in hearts that are at the South Campus and at the North Campus and downtown here. Miracles of eye-opening, spiritual hunger being awakened, spiritual longing being created, spiritual thirsting being brought to life. God, do this, please. Don't let people just run back to the bread of the earth. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.